You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. One thing I love about the yoga tradition is the emphasis on questioning. Questioning your thoughts, your assumptions, even your conditioning. We're all swimming in the culture or cultures we live in. And if we don't make this questioning a deliberate priority, we miss out. We miss out on so many opportunities for growth, for compassion, even for joy. One of these opportunities is around gender identity. And my guest on the podcast today wants you to know that questioning your assumptions and your conditioning about gender is not just a gift to people who are gender nonconforming, although it is necessary for them, but it's actually, and maybe primarily a gift to yourself. May Nicholson, they, them is a 2S LGBTQIA plus inclusion and validation educator and space holder within the yoga, wellness, dance industries and beyond. They do this by facilitating about queer and trans experiences and inclusion practices through an intersectional lens, while also holding space for the individual healing that's needed from the inevitable harm we all hold from gender binary and heterosexism. This is a vast topic with a lot of nuance. But if you're a person who's been able to walk through your life without needing to question the gender construct, because you fit well enough into what people expect of you. I hope this conversation helps contribute to your awareness of the harm that the gender binary has caused and is causing, and also the potential that we all have for healing that harm. If you're a person who identifies outside the gender binary and you're choosing to listen to this episode, I hope it feels validating for you and I hope it gives you hope for the growth that's possible within the yoga and wellness communities. This topic is very near to my heart, but I'd like to focus on May's message right now. If you want to hear more about how this is personal for me, I'll share that at the end of the episode. For now, let's begin this conversation with May Nicholson, and I will see you on the other side. Megan, welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to dive into some of the conversation around gender and how that intersects with yoga. And before we go there, I'd love to hear a bit about your story, your background, how you initially found yoga, why you decided to start teaching, and maybe what led you ultimately to the work you do now. Awesome. Hi, everybody. It's so great to be in this conversation. My name is Megan. I go by May and my pronouns are they, them, and she, her. I grew up, the story's kind of long. I'm going to try to condense it, but I grew up as a dancer. I danced very competitively and then moved into dancing professionally. And then when I, I moved to Los Angeles, I'm from Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, unceded territory of Wichita, Osage, and Kickapoo peoples. I moved to Los Angeles to pursue dance as a career and 
realized a few years in that the commercial dance industry wasn't for me. And so I found my way to yoga, the practice itself. Yes. And I also just really connected with the community at large, just how people were very much doing deep inner work on themselves and were seeking and I really felt aligned with the community and I fell into practicing pretty regularly while I was dancing. I think about 2010, I started practicing and in 2014, I got certified to teach and started teaching pretty much right away. And about a year into teaching, I started to realize that my community, the 2S LGBTQI plus community was not really in the spaces that I was teaching, you know, and, and that these spaces were also missing all sorts of other people, right? Black bodies, brown bodies, indigenous bodies, bigger bodies, uh, disabled bodies. And so I started to question why that was and what I found and what I felt was just really not feeling fully seen or included in the space. I've since gone on a gender journey, so I understand that feeling now a little bit more. But then it was just like this pretty consistent feeling of not belonging, which I'm just used to um, being queer and especially being queer and growing up in Oklahoma. (laughs) So I didn't question that feeling much until I started hosting a, an affinity space for queer and trans and non-binary folks. So it was a yoga class solely for my community. And I taught that for about four years, I believe. And over that course of time, we just built and co-created this really beautiful space back in the day, whenever you went and took class in person, (laughs) if we can remember that, what a great time, but yeah, we would practice asana pranayama meditation. And then we would sit in a sharing circle for about half an hour after an hour practice. And there would be a theme every week. And we just uh, would unpack it deeper as a community. And it was just such a powerful space where, you know, none of us had to hold back any parts of ourselves. And I learned so much from teaching in that space and also realized how much trauma queer bodies tend to hold in our bodies. And that led me away from all hands-on assists. I really started shifting the way that I taught no matter where I was, whether it was the queer affinity space or not, it really shifted my teaching. And I became really naturally interested in having conversations with people about, you know, Hey, have you ever thought that teaching this way would make this person feel unsafe or, you know, make them feel uncomfortable in their bodies. And so I started to have these conversations more and more and more. And then the pandemic hit and I was already kind of going through my own, um, process around unsettling the yoga practice for me. And the way I learned yoga wasn't necessary. It wasn't through the philosophy of yoga. It was very much like asana and fitness heavy, which we all are very familiar with. And so I had done some work for a few years around 
you know, really learning the roots of yoga and learned a lot from people like Susanna Barkataki and just lots of other folks doing this amazing work. And I was coming to the conclusion that I needed to stop teaching to really figure it out, but I wasn't in the place to be able to do so. And then the pandemic hit and then just so nicely forced me out of it. So I got this great opportunity to step back and I'm currently exploring other practices, reclaiming uh, dance as my spiritual practice. And that's been really, really healing, especially through what I experienced within the dance industry made me not want to dance at all, like even in my living room for years. So it's been a beautiful journey, but I just naturally got led into doing gender equity work. I love being a space holder. I love facilitating. I really love how the work that I do now, almost in, you know, another form of yoga is just a way for folks to be on the journey of self-actualization. So yeah, that's kind of an overarching backstory. <laughs> awesome. I think you did a great job of making it concise. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Awesome. So this might sound a bit basic when you're steeped in the work, but for our listeners who may be a little bit newer to the conversation, can you provide some examples of the types of language and behaviors you were noticing and you were starting to question and you were wanting to have conversations around? There was a lot of generalization around bodies and how that ties to being quote unquote female or male. So a lot of things said, like, if, you know, you're a man, you're do this. If you're a woman, do this. I heard that a lot. And it's for so many reasons, so inaccurate to generalize people's bodies as kind of an aside we are all assigned a sex at birth birth based solely on our external genitalia. And then we are really based on this theory or, or it's a construct, right? That's been built around this gender binary, right? We call it the gender binary. That's like the way that we're confined to one of two boxes. So when we think about that and the way that our life is predetermined based solely on our external genitalia, then it really starts to, when you really break it down, it becomes a little bit barbaric and weird to think about that we're generalizing people's bodies based on their, on their external genitalia. And what, you know, doctors and scientists are proving time and time again, that very much like gender, our, our anatomy very much exists on a spectrum. So we are so much more vast than just two boxes, right? So there was things like that. In most yoga studios, there's going to be men's and women's restroom with no safe space for trans folks or non-binary folks to go. And, you know, retail areas are very separated. I'm trying to think of what else I've heard, all sorts of things. The over assisting and touching of people's bodies without consent Things said like, you know, place this along the bra line. <laughs> There's just so many things there to unpack that don't allow for folks who exist outside the margins to be safe in a space, in a yoga space. And I also will add to that, that, you know, we, we hear 
a lot about safe space, especially I feel in, in yoga and wellness. This is a safe space. This is a safe space. And I want to note that we can never guarantee a safe space. We can work towards safer spaces. And something I like even more that I work with with a lot of colleagues as well is brave space. A brave space is there's a beautiful poem written by Beth Strano, I believe her name is. It's about building that space that allows for the difficult conversations, that allows for that feedback, that allows for the actions, that allows for discomfort to be there and gives way for, for folks to be able to come forward and, you know, express themselves and their needs and then for them to also be heard. Yeah. So I just wanted to name that as an aside because I said safe space and I was like, I need to mention <laughs> that's like not something we can guarantee. <laughs> so as people are yoga teachers specifically, but all of us in this mm -hmm. culture are learning more about gender and sex, the differences between them and the spectrum that exists, there's a lot of focus on learning the right things to say and just sort of memorizing and, and building new language. Yeah. And what I understand about your work is that you really strive to go beyond that. This is more of a surface level band-aid situation. If you're worried about saying the wrong thing, you might be focused on the wrong thing. Right. Can you say more about that? And talk to me about the role of memorizing language. Is there mm. a place for it? And then how do we go beyond that? I love this question so much. Thank you for bringing this in. Yeah, I'm really passionate about embodying this work. I believe that we've all been harmed by the gender binary, no matter what our identities are in so many, in a multitude of ways. But what I love about this work is if we move beyond just the language, it allows us all to heal. And it also moves us closer to unconditional love for ourselves, for ourselves and for others. And you're absolutely right. The memorizing of the language is, is just a bandaid. It's, it, I really, the way I teach is I want to help folks to embody the why so that you can discern it for yourself. Also, our language is ever evolving. It's evolving very quickly. And our understanding of gender is growing a lot faster than our language can keep up with, which is why the language is expanding so quickly. And so I also encourage folks to, you know, as you're embodying the why and practicing using more affirming language to also know that you're going to mess up. And that's part of the practice, right? And I think that's what holds a lot of people back is people almost just become like, they can't say anything at all because they're afraid of saying the quote unquote wrong thing. And this work isn't that black or white. There's definitely better ways <laughs> to say things. And, and like I said, it's just, it's evolving all the time. And so my work and my passion is to help folks understand when we talk about the ways that assigned sex at birth has been conflated with gender identity for hundreds of years and or about 200 years now. And 
you know, how that aligns us in one of two boxes in so many ways. For instance, people who are socialized as male are told that they can't cry or show emotion, right? That leads us then to toxic masculinity that comes out in very dangerous ways. We see it all over the place, right? And so to me, when we're, you know, we always want to center the folks who are most impacted by these systems of oppression. So I work to center trans folks of color, disabled trans folks, right? I, those are not my lived experiences, but I am in a constant practice of centering those folks in this work because they're the most impacted. And also we all benefit from this work, right? When we talk about collective liberation, it's very much that it's for the collective, it's for all of us. And so I'm really interested in folks really going beyond the language. I feel like that is the first step, right? And yes, there, that is a very important practice. So I like that the second part of the question you asked, is there a place for that language? And yes, there are studies coming out more and more showing how language impacts the mental health of, um, of trans folks and especially trans youth. It quite literally saves people's lives when you use affirming language. So this can look like introducing yourself with your pronouns at the beginning of your class. This can look like not assuming that everybody in your class is a woman and referring of, you know, referring to everybody as ladies. A lot of folks will, trans folks, non-binary folks will receive that misgendering because that's what's happening in those moments as the lands as a visceral reaction in the body that causes psychological harm. And then if we're thinking about if this is happening, I get misgendered 20 times a day, right? I don't necessarily experience that extreme visceral reaction in my body. Like I, like a lot of my friends do yet, <laughs> as I uncover more about my gender, I'm starting to realize how it does impact me. But if we're thinking about that compounding over time, that's where that trauma lives, right? And if your class can be that space for that person to not be misgendered and to be seen and valued and your space is made also for them, that makes a world of a difference. So it's a yes and, right? Memorize the language and also, you know, Memorizing language is going to be a shorter process than internal, internalizing the work and embodying it and understanding the why. So I think there's a place for memorizing the language and trusting what we as a community are asking of folks, even if you don't understand the why yet, but then do the work to understand the why, because it's, you know, of course, great for trans and non-binary folks, but it's also for you too. I love that. That's a really beautiful perspective that has both the broad and the more specific woven together. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking about, I heard you talking about the, the evolution of our understanding. And so mm-hmm. I'm really curious about what you envision for the future, as far as how our culture is going to understand sex and gender. And 
perhaps if you have something to say about how our language is going to evolve to reflect that, that would be interesting too. Yeah. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> I guess I could talk more about what I would hope. However, I want to first start by mentioning that for folks who don't know, because this isn't common knowledge, trans and gender diverse folks have been around since the beginning of time. There is a vast history of gender diverse people in a multitude of different cultures. And by way of colonization, those identities were erased. And so for a lot of people, this is a reclamation process, an ancestral reclamation. And I, and I think a lot of people think this gender thing is new. And it's not. It was taken from us, right? There is a very intentional history around the creation of the gender binary. And I will say that racism is a key component in it with every, as is everything that has to do with colonization. So the world that we're seeking to create probably existed before. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and back, you know, when these identities weren't seen, like they didn't, nobody needed to use the, the language as transgender, right? We only trans is a prefix that means to cross over cisgender, meaning cis on the same side, we wouldn't need that language if the gender binary didn't exist, right? Yeah, I just encourage folks to also dive into history. If you want to, if you live on a turtle island, that's, you know, North America, look up the history of two spirit peoples. Also within yoga, it's really important to know about hijras in India. And there's so many cultures. I think in the traditional Jewish texts, there were six genders. They recognize six genders. I think the world we're seeking to create, I think first I want to say that I notice people get really almost aggravated about all the, the labels. I'm put that I'm putting that in quotes, the labels that are being created. And these labels are expanding more and more because we're needing to understand how to describe ourselves outside of the ways that we've been conditioned to believe that we are. And so these labels right now are really important for us to figure out where we fit, who we are, all the ways in which we can be a person. And at some point, I hope we don't need that language that we can just all be but we are very, very, very far from that. We will not see that in our lifetime. But I hope what we do see in our lifetime, and I already see it, is just this beautiful work and hearts breaking open and this willingness to see people fully and to believe people when they say that they're being harmed, right? There's also plenty of places and people that aren't doing that work yet. But I do try to, you know, bring myself back to realizing all the good work that is being done. So yeah, I I hope for a world one day where people like I, I always think about how ridiculous it is and was that I, I have to come out. Like nobody else had to come out. <laughs> You know, and, and when I first came out as queer, when I was 22, like, that was really scary and it was hard. And 
I'm going to have to do it again with my gender at some point. And also it's really unfair that I have to, right? And so, yeah, I hope for a world where people don't have to quote unquote come out unless that's like really affirming for them. A world where labels aren't needed unless, like I said, they're affirming for folks to use them. And just this wide love and acceptance for humanity to just be humans. It's it's really hard to be a gender diverse person in this society. It's really hard. <laughs> and so I'm really passionate about helping folks to create these spaces and to become these, you know, like a safer person for these people in their lives, because, it, you know, there's no way for you, if you're cisgender, there's no way for you to fully understand just how difficult it is, right? Because you're not having a lived experience of it. But yeah, I really believe in a world that defies the gender binary and leaves it behind. And I'm really passionate about guiding folks, being a part of folks' journey of, of you know, all of us having a part in creating that world. I love it. It's a beautiful vision. I'm holding it with you for sure. Yeah. I know it's possible. I really, I wholeheartedly believe it, but we, we have a lot of work to do y'all. <laughs> we got a long ways to go. A little bit ago, you mentioned harm and in your intake form, you, you mentioned four specific ways. Mm -hmm. This would be a great moment to go into those. If that sounds good to you. So I wanted to bring into this conversation, somebody who I call a teacher. I think they are just a really important voice in this world that we're seeking to create. Their name is Alok Vaid Manan. And they wrote this little pocketbook called Beyond the Gender Binary. And it is an exceptional resource. And in my workshops, I do like to kind of touch on things that they say in their book, but they say the four um, key forms of harm are, are dismissal, which, which looks like gaslighting. And the example they give in it is things said, like it's common sense that everyone is a man or a woman. Why use the pronoun they, when it's plural, it's not grammatically correct. This gender non-binary and gender fluid thing is just a new youth internet fad. There are only two genders. So very much uh, dismissal looks a lot like gaslighting or it is gaslighting, right? There's also in, they mentioned inconvenience. You are in an insignificant minority. You are making everything about gender, which we hear that a lot, right? Why be non-binary? Why can't you just be feminine men or masculine women, right? So it's that, that we're causing folks an inconvenience to have to include us right? Because now they have to think out, outside of themselves and do some work and that's inconvenient. They also mention a form of harm is biology. We're seeing this a lot right now in trans youth, especially in sports. We've all heard this conversation. And I think, you know, what I really want folks to also understand is there is really violent harm being done via policy in a lot of the states in the United States that 
when you do the work to understand, to become affirming, your eyes and heart will open to what's happening in your local sphere. Or at least that's my hope that you would feel the, the need to do everything that you can to protect trans folks, especially our trans youth. These very predictable and common sayings that Alok mentions here are incredibly dangerous. They turn, they're ideologies that turn into these policies that make it very impossible for a trans person to just be, right? To receive the affirming medical care that they need, to use the restroom, to play sports. So yeah, I just really encourage you to get this book as a first start and to also process how can you be a part of gender affirmation outside of your yoga class. This is this, this harm is happening in extreme ways all over the place. The last form of harm that Alok mentions is called slippery slope. A saying that they mention in this one is, if we allow people to self-determine their genders, then pretty soon people are going to start identifying as frying pans or anything, you name it. If we allow people to self-determine their genders, then anyone can say that they are a man or a woman. <laughs> all of these things are just, I've heard them all so much. The sayings I mentioned are, are pretty extreme, but when we all, we've all internalized transphobia and homophobia, and it's insidious in that some of these like ways of belie believing and these sayings live within us, even if they don't come out as extreme, right? And so I think it's also really beautiful to use, you know, whatever modality or spiritual practice you have or movement practice, whatever you use, that you're using it to move through that, to move it out of your body and to really doing the work of, you know, first we have to, when we're processing things, we intellectualize it first, and then we start to if we can move it past intellectualization, which is where a lot of us get stuck, where we want to move it down into the heart, right? Where we feel it deep within. And then from there, it's so much easier to take action. That's a framework I learned from Eliana, or sorry, Constanza Eliana Chinea and Maisha Hill of Check Your Privilege. It's a really a beautiful framework around the integration process of this information. So yeah, that was a long-winded answer to that question. <laughs> it's a big conversation. <laughs> it is. It is a big conversation. And all we can do is start and right. keep going. Exactly. And I also want to bring into the conversation that I am one voice, right? I'm one lived experience. I hold a lot of privilege in my vast community. I'm, I'm a white person, I'm able-bodied, I'm in a smaller body. There's a lot of ways in which I hold privilege and there's a lot of ways in which I do work to have an intersectional lens, right? Where I'm able to do this work around how others are impacted based on the multiple marginalizations that they hold. And also you have to be learning from people who have lived experience of these identities, right? And so people like Alok, 
people like the Trans Yoga Project. I think there's seven members of the Trans Yoga Project. I would suggest following and learning from each and every one of them. The Transgender Training Institute is really awesome. My friend Tristan Katz is really great. <laughs> so I just wanted to bring that into the conversation and maybe we could make, could I send like a resource list for everybody for sure include in the show yeah. notes. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's great. really important. Ale, he teaches fat affirming yoga and trans yoga. So there's just so many beautiful souls doing this amazing work from so many different lenses and lived experiences that I just encourage you to dive in and all the angles and from all the people that you can, because there's just so much wisdom and magic to gain um, and so much healing to be done. I love it. I want you to imagine that you could wave a magic wand and influence yoga teacher trainings around the world. Mm -hmm. What would you do with that magic? Mm, wow. So much. <laughs> well, I think first of all, I would love to see more of South Asian people being included in all yoga teacher trainings and the importance, you know, of really embracing yoga's roots, as Susanna Varkataki has said, and, you know, her book is so great, but I think that's, you know, first step. And then second step, I don't know, they're not steps. They're just, they just all need to happen simultaneously. But if we can envision a world where everybody's voice and experience is valid and valued, then our yoga teacher training should really reflect that and who is leading them. So including trans folks as teachers, not just to teach trans inclusion, <laughs> but to teach actual yoga parts of your training, right? Really seeing these voices and these experiences as something that your training needs and benefits from. I think there's so much missed magic. And because of internalized transphobia, racism, homophobia, all the things, folks who are on the margins have a harder time finding these opportunities. I feel yoga teacher trainings would be so much better with them. Yeah. I just, I wish for my community to be really seen and valued outside of just teaching about their own lived experiences. That's something that I really hope for. And I'm starting to see more of, but it's, it's not happening as quickly as I would like it to be perfectly honest. You know, one thing that popped into my head as you were talking is how really everybody needs to do a very long, intensive round of therapy before they start yoga teacher training and learn to accept themselves fully. Mm -hmm. Because I really believe that the main number one reason that we reject others is because there's a part of ourselves that we're hiding from and that we reject. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for a lot of people, when they see gender nonconformity in like a very visual way, when somebody's very gender nonconforming to the visual eye, there's sometimes, I don't want to say all the time, but I feel that there's this reaction that's very subconscious. That's, it's a projection, but I feel like it comes from the place of 
I wish I could be that free, but because I can't be that free, I'm going to project this onto you. And so, yeah, that's exactly why I'm so, yeah, I'm in this place of really processing of like, how can I hold space for the healing of all people within this work, right? And helping folks process like, what does this information mean for me? What do I have to gain? And I feel like that's, that's the true healing that's needed to make this, to make it sustainable and to also leave an everlasting change instead of like we were talking about before, just the band-aids and memorizing the language. <laughs> so yeah, I hope if from, you know, if you, the, if the only thing you got out of this conversation was that there's so much to be gained for you personally, then that's a, that's great. <laughs> and also center trans folks in your process of doing so. <laughs> and I know that there was so much more from this conversation. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed getting to meet you and hearing a bit of your story and your huge heart and your big, big passion for this work. So thank you so much. And if listeners want to find out more about you and I know that you are going to send a big list of resources, but mm -hmm. where should they go? Well, I'm mostly on the Instagram. Sure. You all know it well, um, at Megan Nicholson, M-A-Y-G-E-N Nicholson, because the algorithms are really horrific and you may not see all of my posts. I also encourage folks to sign up for my newsletter, uh, that I send out about once a week or bi-weekly, depending on how I'm feeling, <laughs> but just so you always have a way of knowing what is going on. And I also love to include community features from people within the 2S LGBTQIA plus community that are just doing amazing work. And then also mutual aid efforts and fundraising efforts. So you can subscribe to that at megannicholson.com slash subscribe. Great. And we'll include all of those links in the show notes also, just to make it easy. Thank you again, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such an honor. When I was a kid growing up in Hawaii, my parents had a lot of gay and lesbian friends. So the queer culture was always a part of my community. But the first time I can remember being introduced to the concept of gender diversity in a more broad spectrum way was in college over 20 years ago. I majored in theater and I was also involved in what was then called the LGBTQ Student Alliance, although I know the acronym has changed a lot since then. And I also took some gender studies courses. So I was really invited to take on this perspective of gender as a construct. And although I didn't really practice yoga beyond a bit of asana while I was in college, I feel that the different perspectives that I was invited to try on through gender studies classes, through philosophy classes, even through non-Western civilization humanities classes led directly into this exploration of yoga as philosophy as worldview. In my current nuclear family, more of us identify as queer than as straight or cis. However, I know that if I've lived in a different era, 
and I didn't have access to the work done and continuing to be done by queer activists, I probably would not have questioned my sexuality or questioned my gender because I'm straight enough. I'm cis enough. I don't have dysphoria. But thanks to the brave souls who believed and believe that being all of who you are is more important than staying safe, I get to know myself more intimately. I get to express myself more fully. So I have so much gratitude to everyone out there working to ensure that every human has that privilege. If you haven't ever questioned your own sexuality or your own gender, you may not need to do so in order to live a happy and fulfilling life. And that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Questioning your gender, questioning your sexuality, it may not lead you to changing how you identify. The important piece is asking the question instead of making or living from these assumptions that other people created for you. Right now, the idea of questioning your gender sort of implies that you're going to change it, that you are somewhere outside the norm. But what if everyone were encouraged to question their gender and sexuality? Who would we be without the societal expectations about how a person who presents as you present should behave? What kind of relationships would you be open to if the type of people you're supposed to be in relationship with weren't pre wasn't predetermined? I love what May said in our conversation about their vision for a world where people don't need these kinds of labels anymore. That vision, it makes my entire nervous system relax and smile. But we have a lot of work to do on our way there. Let's all be a part of making that happen. Thank you for listening. And thank you for caring enough to teach and to practice your yoga, even and maybe especially when it feels uncomfortable.